Life in Egypt for the Israelites had been bad for a very long time. It had been many years since Joseph had died. Remember, Joseph was the one that the Lord used to bring Jacob and his large family down to Egypt. But now Joseph and his whole generation had died. That Pharaoh had died. And over time, the new Pharaohs developed an animosity towards the children of Israel. Out of fear, they made them slaves. And yet, they multiplied and grew. The Bible says in Exodus, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. But imagine being one of the children of Israel living in Egypt. You're a slave. You're in poverty. You are disrespected by the people of the land. You are in a lower class than the people who inhabit the land. And yet you were raised on stories of the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph. And you have no recollection, no memory of having seen that God work in your life. Your parents have no memory of having seen God work in their lives. So it's been talk. When when the family gets together, when we go to worship, we talk about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph. And yet here we are in poverty and slavery. Then one day, a man shows up. And he says, I've been out in the wilderness and... The Lord appeared to me, and he sent me, and I'm one of you. I'm an Israelite like you are, a descendant of Jacob. But the Lord has sent me to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And you said, this this guy's crazy. They're going to chew him up and spit him out. But you watched as he went, and he had this fearlessness about him. And then... You watch the process of some plagues that this crazy man would go into Pharaoh and say, it's going to be dark everywhere except where the Israelites live. It's going to be pitch black so you can't see your hand in front of your face for for as long as I say. And he comes out and it happens. He talks about turning the water to blood and it happens. And then when he undoes it, when he says, all right, that's enough, it goes back to normal. Swarms and pestilences and all kinds of plagues. He announces it to Pharaoh and it happens. And you start to let yourself think. Maybe he is sent by the God of Abraham. Maybe the God of Isaac and Jacob and It it seems like everything that you begin to watch happen, it seems bad at first, it seems hopeless at first, and then it gets really good. By the way, that's the way God works. Things get real scary, and then they get real good. And then this crazy man, Moses, or the man you thought was crazy, 
He makes an announcement about how to prepare for this one special night that he's calling the Passover. And in this one night, the death angel is going to come over the land and everyone who is not properly prepared will lose the firstborn of their family. And it's scary because now it's real. You know, before it was, before it was real, but there were no real consequences to, to you. But now there was going to be consequences. So we better just do what he says. And so they prepare. They prepare a lamb like he told them to. And they put the blood on the doorpost like he told them to. And that night the death angel passes over and there's a cry throughout all the land. And you don't know everything that's going on. You know that your firstborn is safe. But you can hear the cries throughout the land of people who didn't take it seriously. And then the craziest thing happens. A century, somebody comes, a messenger, apparently from Moses, comes running through your little section where you live and says, Pack up! We're leaving! For good! And you cannot believe it. And you get your things together and you're throwing things in bags and, and baskets and putting them on the back of the donkey. And you, I mean, you just can't even believe it. You, what, you, what's really crazy is you've got Egyptian neighbors running over saying, here, take it. You've never seen anything like this in your life. And you never thought you would see anything like this in your life. And all of a sudden, you're part of a pilgrimage of your people leaving Egypt. You can't believe the things you see. That there's literally a pillar of cloud in the sky during the day. And at night, when it gets dark, it turns to a pillar of fire. At night, when you camp, it moves to the back of the camp. So that it provides light for you, but it blinds the Egyptian army that you soon find out is set out after you. Pharaoh changed his mind. You cannot believe when you come down to the Red Sea. And you know you have the world's most powerful army behind you. And then all of a sudden all you can see is water in front of you. And you say, oh boy. <laughs> This didn't turn out so good after all. Well, this is how it ends. Well, I guess it was more fun than being beat another day. And then way down in front, you see that crazy man again. And he raises that shepherd's rod up in the air. And you can't believe your eyes. You can't believe your eyes as... The waters part in front of you. And this massive crowd of people move forward through two walls of water. And what's really crazy is the water, the, the, the ground under your feet is dry. You got to the other side and, I mean, it's like a dream. 
You can't even believe all this is happening. And you stop on the other side because this you know. You know the Egyptian army is still behind you. And you know they're going to stop. I mean, they're, going to, they're not going to stop. They're going to keep coming. So you turn around to see what will become of the Egyptian army. And when the last Israelite is passed through the water, the walls of water collapse. You'll never forget the celebration on the other shore. Then, of course, everybody started getting thirsty. And the Lord provided water. The Lord begins to provide manna for you to eat. At one point, this whole massive crowd of people is thirsty. And God pours out water from a rock. Not little trickling water fountain amounts of water. No, we're talking about water that had to care for a few million people. And it just gushes out and fills the valley and all of a sudden you have fresh water. You'll never forget the experience at Sinai. And weren't you grateful that you didn't join in with the worship of the golden calf and the singing and the dancing? You weren't sure about the crazy man, but it seemed like the thing to do to do what he says. And all of a sudden you begin to realize he says he's taking us to the promised land, the one that I grew up hearing about, the one that I thought was just a, just a bunch of stories, and now we're going to go there. And you follow him for a full year and a half. By the grace of God, you're always in the crowd that does what Moses says, and it turns out to your advantage. You get to a place called Kadesh Barnea, and word goes out that they want a representative, someone who had risen up as a leader in each of the 12 tribes, and they're going to go and spy out the land. You're going, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe we're here. I can't believe this is really happening. And so for 40 days, they're inside of this promised land. And after 40 days, you see this group of a dozen men emerge from the valley. And they've got fruit, abundant, like you haven't seen when you were back, since you were back in Egypt a year and a half ago. You can't believe it. It's a dream come true. This is, this is so great. This is so awesome. And then they hush the crowd. Oh, we're going to find out what's going on in the promised land. We're going to hear the report. And you see 12 men lined up there. And they say, yes, this is the fruit of the land. And it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And I, you, the crowd around you erupts and, hooray! But the man doing the talking says, but I got some really bad news. There's giants in there. It's scary in there. We don't stand a chance. And you notice while he's talking that nine other men are shaking their heads. But two men down on the end are looking at him like, what in the world? And all of a sudden, one of those two men steps up and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can do this. We can go in there. 
But the rest of the men continue to shake their heads and say, oh. and all of a sudden, because of the things that they're saying about how hard and how terrible and how impossible things are in the land, the whole crowd starts crying and weeping. And Moses and Aaron step up and Caleb makes one more shot. Caleb and Joshua together, they take one more shot at it. And here's what they say. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land. Not about the giants, it's about the Lord. But finally, God speaks. And you find out that it's not going to happen now. It's going to happen 38 and a half years from now. I'll tell you who must be the most patient man perhaps in the Bible is Caleb. He was ready to take his inheritance when he was 45, but instead he wasn't going to get it till he was 85. But when 85 came, he was still ready to charge in there and take that mountain. These two witnesses at the doorstep of every great new chapter of your life, every new opportunity, you will hear these same two voices. One that says, that won't work. You'll never succeed. And one that says, if God is in this, you can't fail. You hear those voices around you. You'll hear those voices from within you. You come home with some great news. Oh, you won't believe this opportunity I have and I, I've prayed about it and I believe the Lord will have me do it. And you'll hear... I don't, th I don't think that's going to work. I don't think you can do it. And then you'll hear voices that say, hey, if God is in it, you can't fail. You'll hear those voices in your own mind, in your own heart. You can't do it. You can't make it. You can't win. There's no way you'll succeed. But then you'll hear a voice that says, if the Lord is in it, there's no way that you can fail. Anyone who's ever done something great in God's will has heard those two voices constantly. God called Noah. If you read Genesis 6 very carefully, you'll see that God said because of the wickedness of man, the human race has 120 years left. And how long did it take Noah to build that ark? It took him 120 years. But for 120 years, he heard scoffers, critics, people who didn't even know what a boat was for because they'd never even seen a body of water that could keep it afloat. But Moses heard the voice of God. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Noah, being moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And 
While he was surrounded by the voices of doubt and scoffing, he was moved by the voice of God that rung in his ears and in his heart that says, I will do this. I will do this. And God used Noah to save. God used Noah to save the human race from extinction. Because Noah listened to the voice of God that said, I'm in this. We, we will do this. This will happen. Instead of listening to the voice of the scoffers around him. Back to Moses of the Red Sea. The Bible says that he was surrounded by people who say, Oh, we should have just died back in Egypt. Why'd you bring us out here to kill us for? We could have been buried in Egypt. He was hearing those voices. But he also heard the voice of God that said, what, what are you stopping for? See, I believe this. I believe if you read the passage, you'll come to this conclusion that that pillar of cloud that led them kept going even when they got to the water. And God gives a mild rebuke to Moses for not continuing to go. As if to say, if you just follow the pillar, raise that rod, you'll go on through. I think if they'd have kept walking, the, the Red Sea would have just opened without any confrontation there at all. But either way, he was hearing the cries of the doubters behind them. But he chose to listen to the voice of God, which said, hey, I'm in this. I'm leading you. I got you. Oh, I wish I had the faith to believe that God was so in control of my life that I was unstoppable. By the way, when God is in control of our lives, we are unstoppable. We don't really believe that, do we? Now, as a big if, that's not a casual Christian life that I'm talking about or that God's talking about. It's a spirit-led life which takes a, a lot of focus to live a spirit-led life. But if you're living, if you're walking in the spirit, you are unstoppable ponder that lady named Hannah was barren and she wanted so badly to have a son and she kept hearing the voice of her adversary mocking her but something in her heart said if you ask the Lord and ask him and ask him, and ask him. And she went to the house of God, and she prayed, and she prayed. And finally, God's priest at the house of God at that time, a man named Eli, after checking into the situation and asking her what was going on, said, God has heard your prayer. She tuned out the voice of her adversary and she listened to the voice of God. I'm saying everyone who has ever done something great in God's will heard the voice that said, that won't work. You can't succeed. And the voice that said, if God is in this, you can't fail. The apostles. Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. They were hearing the voices of the 
threats. Everywhere they went, they were threatened. Everywhere they went, they were mocked and criticized. They had people say things to them like, don't ever preach in Jesus' name again. If we ever hear that you've preached in Jesus' name again, we'll put you to death. And ultimately, all of them but one were put to death. Everyone but the Apostle John was put to death. But that didn't, the criticism and the talk and the words didn't stop them. The threats didn't stop them. Even the persecution didn't stop them because they weren't listening to those voices. They were listening to the voice that said, hello, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Anyone who's ever done something great in God's will has heard those two voices. The voice that says, that won't work. You can't do it. And the voice that says, if God is in this, you can't fail. Let me say this. We're almost finished. The voice that says, if, I'm sorry. The voice that says, if God is in this, you can't fail, is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will encourage you and tell you, keep going in the will of God. But by the way, that's why it's absolutely essential to walk in the Spirit every single day. First of all, so that you'll learn to recognize His voice, but also so that He will have the liberty to speak to you. You can come to the place where you know when it is the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God, but not if you're not walking in the Spirit every day. But the voice that you choose to listen to will determine your future and the future of the people who come after you. They were standing there getting the report of the spies and because they listened, the overwhelming majority of them listened to the spies. He said, oh, it's so terrible. It's awful. We can't win. And this was not the first time they had rebelled against the Lord. It was the 10th time that collectively they had failed the tests. God said, that's it. You're not going in. And because of their sin and their rebellion, everybody over the age of 20, they were going to spend the next 38 and a half years in the wilderness, and everyone over the age of 20 was going to die there in the wilderness. Everyone 20 and under, except for Joshua and Caleb, they were over 20, but they had, the Bible says, they had another spirit in them. So God allowed them to go into the promised land after a total of 40 years and after the old generation had died off in the wilderness. Their futures and their children's futures were determined by which voice they listened to. Are you going to listen to the voice of doubt that says, you can't do it. You can't do it. Are you going to listen to the voice of faith that comes from the Holy Spirit that says, if God is in this, you can't fail? I'm going to say this to, to close the message. September is one of the biggest new chapter months of the year. More new things are started in September, largely because every school kid is moving to a new grade. Many are moving to a new school. Some are starting college for the first time 
Others are advancing to different places in college, but so many new things happen. You know, uh, some things you're going through the course of the summer, and you say, all right, let's do this, and, and they say, okay, why don't we do that after Labor Day? So many things new happen in September. Here's what's remarkable about that. If you do the timeline on the children of Israel, do you know when they were in Kadesh, Bornea? September. They left Egypt in April, due, and they were 18 months do 18 months from April. It brings you to September of the following year. So for them, it was a new chapter month. You say, well, pastor, this is August. I know, you got a month to get ready for your September. Some of you are taking on new challenges. Some of you are taking on new challenges that you don't even know are waiting yet. Some of you do. You've been dreading it all summer. All summer long, I, oh, I'm going to a new school, I'm, I'm starting a new job, I start my new position in my job, I'm, we're moving in September. So many big things. Now, I'm not saying that every single time that you have the opportunity to advance, that you're supposed to. Sometimes God says no. What I am saying is, you cannot afford to not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. You must know and obey the voice of the Spirit. It does us no good to have the Spirit of God dwelling in us if we do not acknowledge him and interact with him and yield to him and walk in the Spirit. What is your connection? What role does the Holy Spirit play in your life? Are you listening to his voice? Let's stand together this morning.